This is episode 76 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, September 12th, Usually right here at the opening of the show is where I'd say some useless crap about my personal life in order to try to pad out the length of the show, but I didn't write anything down in my notes for what I wanted to talk about. So I don't have much. Uh, I will say that um, I'm not going to be, uh, those of you who keep warning me about this will probably laugh, but I am not going to be able to give any list of who boosted Satoshi's this week because uh, my node went down yet again. Uh, the data is there, but my database reporting screwed up because, well, I guess I could kind of get, I, I've been building a new script, which overall works pretty damn well for pulling all of the boost data from my node into a local database where I can do all kinds of awesome number crunching on it. And the, the number crunching is what I'm excited about because it lets me, uh, filter and visualize by username, by podcast, by, you know, I do two podcasts and I have some boosts coming in from others and, and it, it lets me filter by episode, filter by podcast, by date, et cetera. It's a very powerful thing, but I only wrote it about three weeks ago. It's still got some bugs. The one in this particular case was the node got wedged again and I hit the update script. And so what it did was it went ahead and grabbed all of the updates it could find, which was none and then updated. Okay. The last time updated timestamp is right now. And I did this right before the show and now it won't update again because it's like, I already checked very recently. Okay. You know, you don't need to hear about all of that. Um, I suffice it to say, I've got to go in, I've got to manually poke the database, tell it, no, no, your last update was back at this time. And I didn't have time to do that right before the show. So if you boosted, please continue to do so. And I will call it out. I will read your name because I do really appreciate every bit of attention. And I love the boostograms. I love the things people say, even when you are spewing total hatred or you're trolling, because it means that I'm not just talking into a microphone here. I'm talking into a community. And I know that I'll probably never get all the numbers of that Larry show or uh, planet rage. But you know, if, if I could break 50 when they're breaking a hundred, I wouldn't hurt my feelings. Anyway, enough about that. I think I've padded the show out enough. Let's do some news. Shall we? Most of my stories this week are kind of short. So let's, uh, let's throw in a couple of throwaway stories to get us started. Uh, this one, this first one is from, it's from a couple of weeks ago and I definitely heard about it on another podcast, but it's hilarious and worth mentioning. So I'm going to call it out here too. TechCrunch calls out a hack of a Portuguese language package called web detective, which is spyware estimated to have compromised almost 77,000 Android phones, mostly in Brazil. Once web detective is installed, and I keep wanting to say web detective, there's no C in it. It's web detective, which might make sense in Portuguese. I don't know. Once web detective is installed often without user consent, as pointed out by TechCrunch, uh, possibly by a corporate administrator or a distrustful spouse who gets a hold of your phone. 
it starts grabbing and uploading as much data from the phone as it can. Messages, call logs, call recordings, photos, social media app caches, real-time location data, and ambient audio recordings made around the phone. This is real spyware. Web Detective also changes its icon on the home screen, presumably in an attempt to hide from victims, tech-savvy enough to know how to uninstall an app, but who don't recognize icons, maybe. I'm not sure. By exploiting flaws in Web Detective's central control dashboard, hackers were able to access email addresses and other data stolen from users' phones by the spyware. A note, they didn't hack the phones that were infected with it, they hacked the central dashboard, uh, the, the CNC computer. Um, it also gave the hackers remote control over the user's devices. So what did hackers do with this awesome power to suddenly take over somebody else's spyware botnet? Well, they deleted web detective from the phones, severing the connection and preventing any further infection by the spyware. After that, the anonymous hackers posted an archive of the data exfiltrated from web detective minus any personal user information, which had been scrubbed. For, the, for what reason would these internet vigilantes do such a thing to clean people's phones of spyware? Well, because, and I quote from the article, fuck stalkerware. Tom's hardware points out a quick Windows hack, uh, a bug really, discovered by a Twitter user whose username I won't even try to pronounce, which seems to fix a lot of the massive UI lag that Microsoft has been adding to Windows Explorer for this last several versions of the OS. According to the article, all you have to do is double tap F11 to make Explorer go into full screen and then back out. Doing this seems to break or disable whatever laggy nav history function has been taking up all the CPU in the background because afterward, Explorer is reported to be snappy and have instantaneous refresh when swapping between drives and folders. The only thing it seems to break is the nav bar for the current Explorer window, something Tom's hardware points out is a quote small price to pay. The article doesn't mention which versions of the OS this trick works on, I'm assuming current Windows 7, but it's easy enough to check for yourself. If you're like me, you just hit F11 twice while hearing this article. By the way, if this does work for you, then you're welcome. Enjoy your snappy, responsive UI, at least until Microsoft fixes the bug and returns Windows to its slow, laggy, and unresponsive self the way it's meant to be. Security researchers at Citizen Lab at the University of Toronto have released a new zero-day clickless vulnerability in Apple iOS, macOS, and iPadOS. There are two particularly notable things about this exploit chain, which Citizen Lab dubbed BlastPass, and Apple has given the much more memorable names CVE-2023-41061 and CVE-2023-41064. First, it can be activated by merely displaying an image in any app. Safari messages, WhatsApp, etc. All you do is view an infected picture and your phone is owned. Anything that uses the OS's built-in image display library is vulnerable. This is where I would insert my usual rant about modern software blurring the lines between data and code and not using, you know, not displaying data, running code, etc., etc. Though, honestly, I can't say that's what happened here because they released absolutely no technical details on how the exploit chain was performed. Uh, they did the good thing and told Apple about it and did not tell the public. But I'm not sure why, because that brings me to the second notable thing, which is the way that they discovered the hack. It was found in the wild 
in Washington, D.C., where infected images were being messaged to specific targets in order to deliver the Pegasus mercenary spyware onto their phones. Apple has released a patch to close the vulnerability. Uh, if you grab iPadOS and iOS version 16.6.1, uh, macOS 11.7.10, or macOS 13.5.2, those are the versions that are patched. Um, vulnerable versions of OSs that are not patched uh, and may never be patched are, uh, looks like almost all versions of macOS 12, as far as I can tell, it wasn't clear. Uh, and definitely all versions of iOS and iPadOS 15. As always, the bulletin urges users to update all of your devices to the latest version of the OS and to enable automatic updates so you can get these security patches alongside any unwanted feature updates that the vendor has chosen to bundle with them. OpenAI recently published a Tips for Educators blog post that makes some suggestions for how educators should use ChatGPT as an educational aid. The post is mostly fluff and marketing, but the juicy bit comes as part of a linked FAQ. Question, do AI detectors work? Answer, in short, no. While some, including OpenAI, have released tools that purport to detect AI-generated content, none of these have proven to reliably distinguish between AI-generated and human-generated content. This is, of course, obvious to anybody who's been following AI news or just following my podcast, as each time one of these detectors comes out, we mock it for its abysmally low success rate. The FAQ points out that every detector not only has a high rate of false negatives, but it also has a disturbingly high number of false positives, labeling things like Shakespeare or the Declaration of Independence as AI-generated. They also mention that if you ask ChatGPT itself if it wrote some bit of text, the answers you get are random and have no basis in fact, according to OpenAI. Of course, that part kind of makes perfect sense. Trying to use an AI model to detect whether a bit of output came from that model is an impossible task. It's basically the AI equivalent of the halting problem, an unsolvable theoretical question in computer science of a, you know what, never mind the halting problem. If you cared about the halting problem, you'd probably already know about it. For a more practical argument, the fact points out that even if a detector could spot AI work, students would quickly learn to change a few words and fool the detector all over again. Instead, uh, OpenAI suggests that educators who suspect a student might be trying to pass off their AI work as their own should look for signs from the student, see if the work diverges from their usual writing style, test for understanding and for critical thinking, not just for answers, take a personal interest in the student's learning, talk to the student about their progress, you know, stuff that way back in the day we used to call teaching. And our big story this week from the spyware on wheels department. There is a Mozilla series out there. I I've read a couple times, but it never really clicked how awesome this series is. It's called privacy, not included. It tests types of products for privacy impact. Uh, Mozilla does not when they, their methodology, they don't actually go out and buy the product, which is good in this case, it would have been expensive. Uh, instead, what they do is they review all of the data that is publicly available before purchase, like a consumer has to do. They read the company website, news reports, white papers, app store listings, uh, they read reviews. Um, probably the best and most important and most difficult thing they do is they read the whole privacy policy. <laughs> the policy is usually very vague, so going out on a limb and above and beyond, they actually email and ask the company, 
Sometimes they even get a response, although there's no real way to know if it's true. Basically, Mozilla is doing the hours and hours of meticulous research on a product that every customer should be doing before they buy anyway. Now, as part of this, Mozilla has some minimum privacy standards for products uh, that, be, that they pretty much demand. They say this is the minimum you should get for any product you buy. The standards involve uh, several checkboxes, how they use the data, do they sell the data, can users control their own data, can users delete data about themselves uh, and the company's track record for breaches, leaks, vulnerabilities, etc. If a company gets more than two red flags, the product gets a thumbs down from Mozilla and a label, big yellow triangle with an exclamation point in it, warning, privacy not included. They say pretty much don't buy that. Okay. So the privacy not include series reviewed 25 car brands for the report, uh, brands of automobiles chosen for their popularity in North America and Europe. Suffice it to say, Every single brand that they checked out failed to meet Mozilla's minimum standards. Let me say that again. Every single car brand that's popular in North America and Europe failed on the privacy. Um, by the way, the next worst category, they, they've done privacy not included for a while. The next worst category that Mozilla has ever reviewed was mental health apps, of which 63% of the apps they review failed. Even dating apps and sex toys, which Mozilla has reviewed, have come with more secure privacy policies than automobiles, than very expensive cars. So of the 25 brands that they reviewed, all 25 collect, quote, more personal data than necessary and use it for marketing, targeted ads or, quote, unspecified. 23 of the 25 brands provide, quote, little or no control over your personal data. 21 of those brands uh, say that they will share data with outside parties. 19 brands will, in fact, sell your data. 14 of 25, a little over than half, will share your data, happily share your data with the government. Now, and, oh, and Mozilla could not verify whether any of them use encryption when sending all of this data to the mothership or any info at all about the security or handling of that data. They could not find no, no company whatsoever would put in their privacy policy, their terms of service or anything about whether or not they secured the data, whether or not they had any security standards at all in their databases, in whether or not the data being sent from the vehicle is encrypted. Nobody said anything. Mozilla even tried to contact them. The vast majority did not respond. The few that did respond still wouldn't say anything about their security. So Mozilla kind of gave everybody an F in security too, which might also explain why 17 of those 25 brands have had a major data breach within the last three years. So what types of data are being collected? Again, mostly according to privacy policy, these companies are authorizing themselves to collect, store, and sell your driving location and usage times of day. That's a bare minimum. Uh, so is your name, email, phone number, vehicle identification number, driver's license number, any data you give to the car or dealer when you buy it, really, everything you've given them, sold, collected, whatever. Uh, any details on how you use the car, telemetrics, uh, which features and functions you use, uh, what you know, whether or not you use the radio station, how, what temperature you set it to. Okay, fine. Uh, your driving habits, they collect that. How fast you go. Do you break the speed limit? 
uh, because they also have your GPS. Uh, do you brake too hard before a stop line? That kind of stop light, that kind of driving habit. Uh, which connected services you use, which songs you listen to on the radio, in fact, are collected by some of these. And by the way, that doesn't even count the rampant data collection. If you get your music from an app like Spotify, YouTube, Apple music, Google music, etc. Uh, the car companies are collecting third party data like Sirius XM or Google maps usage. Uh, or there's some really much more wild stuff that some of them are authorizing themselves to connect. For example, medical information, uh, six companies say that they are willing or that they authorize themselves to collect your genetic information. Uh, the, the strangest is that both Kia and Nissan had privacy policies that include, they will collect your sexual activity. Um, more on Nissan later, but anyway, so which brands, what are the best brands? What are the worst? Well, on the list that were tested, the best brands tested were Renault and Dacia who failed at data collection, data usage, and security, but are notable as the only two brands that make any pretense whatsoever of allowing the user to control their own data. BMW, Subaru, Fiat, Jeep, Chrysler, and Dodge all came up next for being utter crap in almost every category, but put them into the top eight simply because they have not had a major public data breach in the last three years. Every single other brand tested. Volkswagen, Toyota, Lexus, Ford, Lincoln, Audi, Mercedes-Benz, Honda, Acura, Kia, Chevy, Buick, GMC, Cadillac, Cadillac, Hyundai, and Nissan tested and failed in every single data category that Mozilla had. Data usage, data collection, data control, track record, and security. At the very bottom of the list, the last one is Tesla, who is notable for not only failing every single category, but also getting an extra ding for using a quote, untrustworthy AI, Mozilla says, for the autopilot feature. Now, let me back up one to Nissan, which placed the second to last, uh, mainly because the review read like a soap opera. So I, want, I pulled some stuff out of the detailed review. Um, they place second to last for quote, collecting some of the creepiest categories of data that we have ever seen. They collect again, quote, sexual activity, health diagnosis data, and genetic information, and they sell it. They also sell inferences drawn from any personal data collected to create a profile about a consumer reflecting the consumer's preferences, characteristics, predispositions, behavior, attitude, intelligence, abilities, aptitudes, and psychological trends. Psychological trends, I guess, is for all those people out there who wear your mental health status on your sleeve. Now you can sell it for Nissan's profit as well. Oh, and that, of course, is before you've downloaded and installed the My Nissan app, which comes with its own privacy policy. Oh, you might just say, I'll just opt out. I love the following. The following is great from Nissan's privacy policy. By activating or register by activating, registering, subscribing, or using any of the services offered by in Nissan connect or by operating or occupying a vehicle that is utilizing such services, you agree to Nissan collecting and using the information collected for various purposes. Yeah, that's right. You don't want your genetic data, sex life, and mental health status to become Nissan's. You can never get into a Nissan car again, even as a passenger. And if you think none of this is enforceable just because you weren't notified, Nissan has covered themselves there too. According to their terms of service, 
You promised to educate and inform all users and occupants of your vehicle about the services and system features and limitations that terms of agreement, including terms concerning data collection and use in privacy and the Nissan privacy policy. So you see, if Nissan collects the personal genetic data of the passengers in a car without consent, it's not Nissan's fault. It is the driver's fault for not informing them about all of these terms and conditions before the passenger got in the car. Let me tell you, this is going to make your next Uber ride a lot more awkward. Now I'm picking on Nissan a lot because they're the worst, but to be clear, every single brand on this list has onerous terms like this, more or less every car. Okay. Every car probably isn't collecting all of this data because like I said at the beginning, the report comes from reading the available info uh, and reading the privacy policies. This is what the car companies authorize themselves to do, not necessarily what they're doing. Mozilla is not testing the cars, but you've agreed, agreed in quotes by buying the car or maybe by just sitting one that they can collect all of this stuff once they download new features or install new sensors or whatever it is they do. They are collecting and they are collecting a lot of it. There's a lot of this data. Maybe, maybe they're not, they, I don't think they have a camera in the backseat right now pointing to check your sex life right now. I, it's possible you might want to check that before your next park up on lover's lane. I don't think it's true, but they are collecting a lot of data. The problem is what data, which parts, which things, which genetic information we don't know because there's no transparency whatsoever with any of these companies. While researching this, I am almost afraid to mention that I did in fact read a Reddit thread, but sometimes those are a source of some gold comments. There were a couple of users who were commenting on this article uh, that had great quotes. One saying, every time my neighbor starts his new truck, it tries to connect to our TV, which totally makes sense because these are smartphones. And when you try to start your truck, it's a Wi-Fi. It goes out and looks for other Wi-Fi signals nearby. And if your Wi-Fi is locked down and you haven't given your truck the password to your Wi-Fi, it's going to look for open Wi-Fis anywhere else. Uh, another user says, my network logs nearby AP signal strength, access point signal strength as a basically a record of my neighbors comings and goings. The same set of SSIDs for everyone's cars, phones, etc., and signal strength ramping up and down means that I have a wealth of data as they approach or leave. Yes, your car is broadcasting a Wi-Fi SSID and that tells an amazing amount of things about you. I really should have gone back and pulled which angry tech news, but we had a, I had a great story about uh, researchers who knowing nothing more than your phone, uh, having your phone try to access, they set up a custom access point, which downloaded every Wi-Fi SSID you've ever saved in your phone and gave a pretty good description of where you've been and your truck or your car is doing the same thing. I've been calling modern cars smartphones on wheels for a long time, and I've been raising the alarm about their terrible privacy, cybersecurity, and quality, all in the name of adding new electronic bells and gizmos. And as I've often said, when a product is not working for you, you are if you are not its master and you have no control over what it does, if you have to pay a monthly fee just to keep its features from self-destructing, then it's not your product. At absolute best, you're renting it, and at worst, you are its product. So none of this is news to the three people who listen to me, but a real, but it is a real problem that is getting exponentially worse. 
I honestly cannot recommend that anyone purchase a 2023 or 2024 model year vehicle under any circumstances because of this crap. This is worse than anything any smartphone or IOT device has ever done. Uh, earlier this week, by the way, I drove by a used car lot, which had a 2012 Ford F-150 up for sale. The sticker, $14,999. That's right, 15 grand for an 11-year-old used car. Hopefully, this will get better in time. Now that consumers and privacy watchdog groups are starting to catch on to the fact that the automobile industry has strayed so far from their core task of creating automobiles that now they're really just in the industry, in the business of creating vulnerabilities or barring that hopefully some diligent and resourceful hacker comes up with a jailbreak for these smart devices. So you can put a custom open source firmware on your vehicle the same way you can your router. But until then, I'm just going to keep up the maintenance on my two decade old sedan. It might not be the prettiest and it's definitely not the most efficient vehicle on the road, but at least I know that it's mine. Angry thanks to Glenn Quarciani for his donation. I'm pretty sure that's a new donor or else I'd have figured out how to pronounce his name by now. Uh, also thanks to Raymond Zorger and Eric Rankin for their continued monthly support of Angry Tech News. Angry Tech News is produced on the value for value model. We don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we don't charge you to listen, but we are funded by your donations. So if you received any value from listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click on the donate button. Send what you think this episode was worth to you, whether it's $5, $75, or just the cost of a 2012 pickup truck. That's it for now. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the angry programmer with a mic. I'll be back next week with more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the angry programmer Ryan Bemrose at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry. Stay angry. Stay angry. Wanted to drop in after the show right now and say I got my boosts working or at least my reporting system. So uh, I had to call people out because I want to say angry thanks to Joel W. Stacy, Mr. Mr. Meme, leap thanks to memes 1337 and to Weirdo for their boosts of the last week. And uh, Weirdo had the best comment in the boostagram that I've seen in quite a while. So I have to read this one. He says, my kid was listening with me and now understands why I won't let them have smart lights and junk like that. Thank you for your courage, Sir Bemrose. Uh, I am so glad that I was able to teach a kid a valuable life lesson. That's why I'm here. You know, that and the boosts.